Good afternoon, everyone. Um, today is October 26th. Beautiful day outside. Got a little bit of rain the first of the week, which was nice. Not enough yet, but it was a good start, and it's looking like maybe the weather pattern is going to begin changing a little bit. I certainly hope so. Um, regardless, we'll continue to pray for rain. Um, we're going to be covering the passage of Scripture today um, in our summary that we took a look at last Wednesday. Uh, that was October 19th. And the passage of Scripture that we took a look at, a short passage, um, was 1 Corinthians 15, verses 29 through 34. Um, there's two specific things we're going to bring out of this um, short passage, um, and we'll be done with it. It won't take us very long. And um, But first of all, we'll give you an opportunity to press pause and read that passage. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 34. Take a look at that once or twice, and then um, hit pause again and get back with us. We'll give you a little time to do that. Okay, hopefully you took the time to read that, that passage of Scripture. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 34. If you did, you're going to notice that the very first verse is something that jumps right out of the page and is a perfect example as to why when it comes to studying the Bible, when it comes to doing our best to um, do justice to the original the original text, the original author, and the original audience, as well as do, do um, justice to um, the context of the rest of Scripture. This is a perfect example of why you do not take any verse or any number of verses and rip them out of the context in which you find them. Otherwise, you can end up out there in la-la land if you're not careful. And obviously, the verse you probably know I'm referring to is verse 29. I'll read that for us. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are they baptized for them? If you took this out of the context of Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians, as well as the rest of his writing within the New Testament, um, if you took this verse alone, it would look very, very uh, curiously like vicarious baptism, meaning... Um, being baptized for someone else. In this case, being baptized for someone who's dead. Um, that does not align with the teaching of Paul at all. Um, well over a hundred years later, this this heresy, this false teaching would kind of come come up a little bit, but this is long before that takes place. This is not referring to being baptized for the benefit of someone who has died. The only serious explanation for this, um, looking at it in context, is this. People being baptized in order to be reunited with departed Christian friends in the life to come. That fits perfectly within this context. And I'll be straight with you, that is not a bad motivation for turning one's life over to Christ. It should not be the primary motivation, but there's nothing wrong with that being part of the motivation for which somebody comes to the Lord. Somebody who dies whom they loved, who was a believer, who's going to be in heaven one day, there is nothing wrong with that being part of the motivation why somebody comes to Christ. Um, so that they can be reunited with their family or their friend who has died in the Lord. Nothing wrong with that motivation at all. Again, it shouldn't be the primary motivation. The primary motivation should be um, being saved from our personal sin by the blood of Jesus Christ and um, taking on Jesus Christ as our new Lord and Savior. 
that's the primary motivation. But again, there's nothing wrong with um, with being motivated in in part by being reunited somebody who's died in the Lord. Um, and the point that Paul is making here is. If there is no resurrection from the dead, no physical bodily resurrection, what's the point? What's the point of of a, a future? If, if there is no resurrection, then there is no reunion either. So that's what that passage is getting at. Don't don't let it don't let it confuse you or anything like that. Be sure to read passages like that within the context of of in which they are written, as well as the context of the rest of the New Testament. Now. Uh, kind of skipping through, kind of to the end of this short passage, there's, there's one more thing that kind of jumps off the page just a little bit. Paul makes this statement, um, and this is a statement made elsewhere in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, the prophet Isaiah does it as well as um, Solomon in his writing in Ecclesiastes. This thought process is that if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, if there is no resurrection, then we should just enjoy this life that is before us. That is somewhat a little bit of a point um, that that Solomon makes in Ecclesiastes and that if you work hard, you should be able to enjoy somewhat the fruits of of your labor. Um, Paul using it in this context, though, is meaning this. If, if there is no resurrection, if there is no life to come, then then what is the point of doing anything in this life to, um, to benefit anyone in that life to come? Um, otherwise, let's just live for the moment. I mean, seriously, um, if there's no tomorrow, meaning future resurrection, what's the point of working for that today in this time? Um, so, but Paul doesn't let that thought rest very long. He says very quickly after that, says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, which was kind of a proverb of the day. And then be sober-minded, become sober-minded, not be, become sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. That right there is a little bit of a hint of where this um, no physical resurrection teaching that had kind of cropped up in the church in Jerusalem, church in Corinth had come from. Um, as we talked about earlier, um, Paul has already um, put kind of some some Gnostic teaching going on in the church in his crosshairs. You see a little bit of that in, um, in chapter 6, chapter 7, okay? And um, Remember, the Gnostics had this, wanted to separate the physical from the spiritual, saying the spiritual is good, the physical is not good. Um, there are two camps within that Gnostic movement. You have the Stoic kind of camp, is this, all things physical are bad. They're the ones who wanted to abstain from marriage, abstain from, from all food. I mean, you can't abstain from food without dying completely, but put it this way, they believe that any physical appetite, um, any pleasure, that was not a good thing. We should abstain from those things, which, which, is, which is not good teaching. That's not false teaching, does not align with the goodness of God. Now, the other side of the Gnostic camp were those who were kind of the, the loose living side. In other, ways, in other words, if we live on the spiritual plane above the physical, then we should be able to dabble in any type of desire anyway physically because we're spiritually above that. So we can live physically any way we want to and there will not be any spiritual um, sinful repercussions from that. Um, that seems maybe just a hint in this, Paul saying be sober-minded, become sober-minded like they're not sober-minded, as you ought, stop sinning, for you some have no knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. Those Gnostics, um, that comes from the, the root word in the Greek, to know something. They, they held knowledge as a, in a very high plane, and Paul's basically kind of leveling the crosshairs at them once again, 
saying, you know nothing. You think you have this great knowledge, but but you know nothing. Stop sinning and, and stop teaching this, this false teaching that there is no bodily resurrection. So maybe that gives us a little bit of hint who he's targeting with 1 Corinthians 15. So, all right. Now tonight, again, this is October 26. We're going to be looking at a little bit longer chunk, and boy, it starts getting exciting here. Um, chapter 15, verses 35 through 49. And then, boy, after that, next week it gets even better. But again, that's the passage we'll look at tonight. We'd absolutely love you to join us. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. We'll have class at 7 o'clock. Prior to that, we'll have a meal at 6 o'clock. I think tonight is pizza and salad night. And um, after supper, um, we'll have classes, not just our class, but we'll have classes for all ages. So we'd absolutely love you to join us tonight. Um, Hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. We'll see you tonight.